3: Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. We have an amazing show for everybody today. What do we have, Crystal? Indeed
2: we do. Nice to have you back, sir. Thank
3: you. I've slightly recuperated. I'm doing my best over here. Voice
2: is a little rough, but we're glad to have you. We'll get there. We'll get through it. Um, Lots to get to you this morning. We have some new, just devastating numbers for Joe Biden that we can go through. Some interesting comments from voters as well as we head into the general election. We also have some big legal developments and a giant admission from Fannie Willis down there in Georgia. So we'll break all of that down for you and what it means. And also, Trump apparently sort of assuming that he is going to be convicted in one of these cases and is planning for how he's going to get through that and win the White House back anyway. So we'll tell you about all of that. We also have um, the U.S. swearing that the Middle Eastern war has not widened, even as we bomb three different countries over the weekend. So uh, uh, incredible that they are still trying to even make that claim and quite humiliating and embarrassing for them. Speaking of humiliating and embarrassing, the media. Um, Many things to report on there, including a new report that CNN's staffers themselves, employees of CNN, are accusing that network of journalistic malpractice. I'm taking a look at a new IDF admission that they were, in fact, behind this uh, Telegram channel that was publishing on a daily basis, basically like violent snuff style content, unbelievable. And we have a guest on to break down a new report about who exactly are the millionaire and billionaire moguls behind the gigantic funding push um, by APAC and the Israel lobby. So a lot to get into this morning.
3: That's right. I'm really excited for that, um, in particular, to talk to them. And we've got uh, good news for everybody. The RFK Junior Focus Group in Michigan is actually today. Our producer and our team is on the ground there in the States. We have a discount going on for the election season where you can help us out, breakingpoints.com to support work like that, that we continue and will be continued to expand all throughout so we can give you the very best coverage. Really excited actually to hear what they have to say about the libertarian push. There's been some talk of that lately and ballot initiatives, but more importantly, who are you? You know, what do you want? Why are you supporting RFK Jr.? And what are some of the things that are animating his support, you know, that very much could turn the tide, which we will talk about very shortly.
2: Yeah, the primaries... Not that interesting. Um, Unfortunately, unfortunately. I wish there was like some real democracy and choice going on. There wasn't really there. I would say RFK (laughs) Jr. is the big wild card for the fall. And so we're watching this with great interest because I genuinely am curious to know what these individuals say. I feel like I have a great sense of like who your typical Republican is, what the different archetypes are, who your typical Democrat is, what the different archetypes are. I wanna know who the RFK Jr. supporter is, what is bringing them to the table in terms of a a possible third-party effort and what they're looking towards for the fall. So I'm gonna be really interested in that.
3: Really exciting to see the results. Uh, As always, the premium subscribers actually get early access to the full focus group and all that as a thank you, and we will continue to provide all of that. So again, breakingpoints.com, if you can take advantage. But we've got some stunning new polling out, speaking of the general election, that we can go ahead and start with and put this up there on the screen. I mean, this is one of those where one of the worst signs for Joe Biden yet. In the latest NBC News poll, Donald Trump is leading Joe Biden at 47 to 42%. And the top line number there for Trump is actually gone up since November. Joe Biden's number's gone down by two. Let's go to the next part, clear, please, because this is equally important, where you can see the approval rating in an NBC News poll at the start of re-election for everyone for the last 20 years. George W. Bush started off in 2004 and at 54%, he was riding off the high of his post 9-11 approval. Barack Obama in 2012 had a 49% approval rating. Donald Trump had a 46% approval rating. Joe Biden coming in at 37%. He's putting up Jimmy Carter level numbers in his year out ahead of the overall election in 2024. And Harry Enten, who works over at CNN, he's actually a, a pretty good polling analyst, flag something which I think is probably the most important data point of this. This is the first time that a Republican for president has held a consistent lead in national polling since 2004, which is absolutely stunning. Crystal, I mean, there's a couple of things that we should go through here, and we're gonna cover uh, some of the pluses and the minuses. I guess today will be the minus side for Joe Biden. Approval rating, dismal. Approval rating, though, is not necessarily equal to the overall votes. As we saw, Trump could have a 46. You could still lose the overall electoral college. One of the problems, though, is that for Democrats, The ability to win the popular vote has been a foregone conclusion since 2004. Trump is now currently in a position, polling-wise, we don't yet know whether that's accurate, where he does appear as if he may be able to edge out in the popular vote. Given that Republicans actually have a minus two popular vote advantage in the overall electoral college, that's the worst possible position, Mm -hmm. I think you could say fairly, um, for Joe Biden, especially when we think about it on a state-by-state level. The only countercase I could give to you this is that, look- Every election is unique, and I know that sounds trite, but George H.W. Bush, I'm sorry, in 1991, had a 90-some approval rating after the Gulf War, and he still went on to lose the 1992 campaign. So it's not always one-to-one, but historically, that's more of an aberration than it is the norm. The norm is, is that when people disapprove of your handling on the economy, your overall job performance, and you're losing in almost every single national poll, then you're not doing so well. At the same time, special elections, every time people go to the ballot, they don't seem to be going Republican. So I don't know. I just want to present the fair picture yeah, of where we Yeah, I think
2: right. the other counter you would say is what's unusual about this election is you basically have two incumbents going up against good each point. other. Yeah, that's a good. Point. And Donald Trump also has a very low approval rating. So, what do you make of that? I mean, I do think it is this bizarre situation where most of the country would say, there's nothing I would like less than this rematch to occur, and yet we're staring down the exact rematch that is like the nightmare scenario for the majority of Americans. I think you have a situation where if it was Almost any other, just sort of normal run of the mill Democrat, they would beat Trump. I think if you had any normal, like, run of the mill Republican, they would beat Joe Biden. And so it really is a test of, like, who does the country hate more? Who are they more dissatisfied with? Who are they more uncomfortable with leading the country going forward? Chaos under Trump. Or, you know, someone who is incredibly aged and showing that age and declining on a daily basis to the point that he won't even sit for, you know, basic interviews and is effectively hidden by his team from the American people. And this is very, very, very apparent to people. Yeah. They've been telling pollsters routinely, every single time they're asked, yes, I think Joe Biden is too old, and not just Republicans and not just independents. Democrats felt that way and feel that way as well. And yet here we are, you know, with an incumbent president deciding to run for re-election in spite of the fact that the American people overwhelmingly feel like he is not really up to another four years. So that's kind of the bottom line of this choice here. And, um, you know, I, I feel like there's a, a, just a level of denial and insanity on the on the Democratic side. We might cover this clip tomorrow in the show. Dean Phillips finally got asked to go on MSNBC yes. um, after, you know, he's he announced four months ago they never once had him on until after Joe Biden has basically like totally locked up the Democratic nomination, just completely Romped in South Carolina, then they decide to have Dean Phillips on, and they're like, "Why aren't you doing better? You know, if Democrats want another choice, why aren't you? Uh, why aren't you doing better in the polls?" And he's like, "You literally didn't even tell people at ISIS I have five percent name approval because they did so much to shut down any concept among the Democratic base that there was any option available other than Joe Biden." And at the same time, they're saying that it is mission critical and absolutely existential that Donald Trump be defeated. Yet they're putting up this guy who is like the weakest, lamest, worst candidate you could possibly have in there to try to beat Donald Trump. So it is a a real level of insanity that has taken hold in the Democratic Party, where they have just anointed this man who is so incredibly weak and where people feel so, so nervous about the idea— of whether he can even make it through another four years.
3: Absolutely. And uh, just to underscore this, one of the key themes of some of the things we'll talk about right now are somehow Biden, his lack of strength doesn't just come from independent voters or from Republican overperformance or enthusiasm. He's losing key parts of his own coalition. MSNBC, shockingly, aired um, some comments from black voters that they they at least were probably taken by surprise where they aired some of the criticism of Biden. And not only that, about why Trump Trump support, at least marginally amongst black men, is beginning to increase. Here's what they had to say.
0: Some appeal there for some black men with Trump. What is
1: it? Money.
0: Money. Yeah. I mean, you know, Donald Trump has a reputation of uh, being the money man, so.
1: I just think um, that Donald Trump uh, is spite of all the craziness he may have in his head, reading some of the things that he talks about with business, I can kind of agree with as far as business-wise because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grow my business. A lot of people admire the persona um, and they, they want to be him. You know, they want to enjoy the um, perks that he has. He seems to always be able to circumvent the rules you're hearing that too that there's some people in your orbit who are either voting for Donald trump or considering it for sure a lot of my friends are obviously my age so we're a little younger Mm. we've only voted once you know for actually for a president
3: and trump is kind of all we know and they're kind of trump and biden
0: they're like well we were broke with Biden. We weren't with Trump, and that's kind of the only thing that I'm hearing over and over mm-hmm. again, over and over yeah. again, is that, well, Trump, we had money. Well, okay, mm-hmm. I hear you guys, but personally, I morally, I couldn't see
3: myself. Hey, very honest, I think in terms of that portrayal with yeah, Trump, we had money. Actually. With Biden, we're broke. I mean, listen, people are pocket vote voters. Are all people like that? No, not necessarily. As we saw in the 2022 midterms, people did not vote with the economy as number one on their mind. They voted with abortion and with stop the steal. Very much so in order to have democratic overperformance. So again, I could sit here and I can make the case every single which way. But uh, I do think that there is a major peril there for Biden both uh, within his coalition. Second to that is a lot of what's happening right now with Israel with younger voters. Let's put this up there on the screen. Politico's Jonathan Martin, who's a very astute political columnist, wrote this just yesterday, quote, forget no labels. Biden's third party peril is on the left. Young Democrats, however, are finding U.S. support for the Netanyahu war effort is untenable, costing potentially costing the president millions of liberal votes. And what the major headline actually out of that is that, quote, the latter is to include a multi-pronged offensive that will currently launch soon against Kennedy, Jill Stein and Cornell West. Some of which mm-hmm. will come from the campaign, some from outside entities. We will set this up directly. It is us versus them. Us is voting for us. Them voting for a third party or Trump, as one Biden official mm-hmm. has put it to me. So, in other words, I believe that is called vote blue, no matter who. Voter shaming.
2: That's, that's voter shaming the whole definitely
3: worked against uh, Jill Stein voters and others. And, and look, I mean, at a certain point, I think people who are young in particular, and that's one thing that that young black gentleman in the clip did resonate with me is he's like, listen, you know, I'm a young guy. Trump is kind of all we know. And, you know, we, we've been covering politics. And I think about it for so long, even though I'm only 30, 31, I, yeah, almost 32 uh, <laughs> is that it's still been, some, it's been seven years. That's a long time, you know? And before that, it was Obama. It doesn't feel like, uh, it, you know, Trump in many ways has been around since 2011 with the birther conspiracy and has been kind of the center of a lot of our politics for so long that people no longer want to believe some of the myths and other things that are out there. Now, it might be true that the suburban, you know, moms and white men and, uh, college educated and others may definitely be swayed by the Trump as an existential threat and others. But I think key parts of the Democratic coalition don't want to be. Shamed anymore? Younger people who voted for Joe, uh, for uh, Bernie Sanders, younger people and others who I've met, you know, who voted for Jill Stein. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure they're they're ready to jump on this. They're like, I've just heard, I've seen this movie so many times. Why should I believe you? Yeah, and I think that's a potent, you know, that's a potent thing.
2: I, you know, I, I thought the same thing listening to that yeah. young man speak, which is like, this is normal for him. Yeah, this is just politics. Yes. like the Trump era is all that he knows, all that he has seen of politics. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you're going to terrify him, like the world's going to end if Donald Trump gets back in the white house, like it just doesn't have the same resonance because he's seen it. And he was like, yeah, I didn't, you know, it was chaotic. I personally, he says, I personally morally could never support him, but he doesn't feel like the world is going to absolutely fall apart because again, that level of chaos and like political insanity is just politics to Mm -hmm. him. That's just normal politics to him. You know, in terms of the crumbling of the coalition that put Joe Biden in office last time around, you know, it is a massive, massive problem for them. And I think J. Mart this in his piece. This poll just came out that showed 50 percent, a majority of Democratic voters believe that Israel is perpetrating a genocide. And Joe Biden obviously has given them unconditional support done everything that they have wanted him to do, he has done. So yeah, for voters who have any sense of morality, aiding and abetting a genocide is going to be a very difficult pill to swallow. And it's different than, oh, you may not love his position on this or that issue, or you may not be inspired by him, but suck it up because Donald Trump is on the other side. For a lot of people, that is just a bridge way too far. And it There's a lot of uh, indicators that the Biden team has finally woken up to the fact that people are not just going to get over this. They're not just going to move on. There was another uh, piece that quoted Biden campaign officials who said they are now looking for other paths to win in Michigan that do not involve Arab American support. (laughs) Because they basically see like this has gone on too long and there's basically nothing we can do at this point to win these folks back. But it's not just Arab Americans. It's not even just young voters. There's a big piece in the New York Times about how many Black faith leaders are disgusted with the Biden foreign policy vis-a-vis Israel. Actually, MSNBC had another analyst on who said, listen, when I talk to Black voters, they say, what are we doing sending all this money overseas and entangling ourselves in all these wars when we've got problems right here at home? So there is also mass dissatisfaction across all kinds of key demographics in the base with regard to you know his unconditional support for israel and i do feel like even if there's a the ceasefire negotiations going on right now even if the war ends now that is not something that people are just going to get over and completely put in the rearview mirror and i think they have actually sort of realized that but don't know you know but obviously like actually putting the screws to Israel or trying to change course isn't on the table. Instead, the plan is we're just going to demonize anyone who would consider supporting Jill Stein, consider supporting Cornell West, consider supporting RFK Jr. We're just going to say "but Trump, but Trump, but Trump" and hope and pray that that old playbook works one more time.
3: It's a really foolish strategy because you know, if you look at the vote totals, I have Michigan here in front of me from 2020. You know, Biden won 2.8 million votes. Trump won 2.65, He only, you know, Biden only won by a margin of 154,000 votes. That's not a lot. I mean, Trump got 47.8%, so we're only talking about a couple of margins in a different direction, and Trump wins the state. Don't forget, he won by 10,000 votes in 2016 in the state of Michigan, which stunned a lot of people for the because of the election polling previously, but people like, uh, was it Debbie Dingell and other voters? I believe Michael Moore as well had been like, I think Trump is going to win in Michigan. Same thing. I mean, let's say he has an enthusiastic coalition of people who are willing to come out, and you've got just enough people who either don't come out to vote, or they vote for Cornell West, or they vote for Jill Stein, or they vote for RFK Jr. That's enough. You know, it really doesn't take a critical mass. It only takes a couple of million people in the right states, or maybe not even a couple million, let's say one million people in the right states, which is not that much. You know, if we think about the overall, what, 170 million people who voted in the 2020 election, and things can go completely in a different direction. Everything is a game of margins here, and I don't think that the Biden team is really considering and thinking about that. I also agree with you on the Israel point because— it's kind of like if we were on the two days penultimate to the withdrawal of Afghanistan and Biden was like, okay, guys, I'm going to change course and we're going to stay. It's like, well, the chaos is baked in, man. You know, we already watched the whole thing. It's like, at this point, now you just look vacillating and weak. And even, you know, with a political system as it's currently designed, they're not going to, even if there was a ceasefire or whatever with Israel, like, you think it's, things are just going to end? You're still going to have a refugee crisis. You have all this diplomatic negotiation. Now we're thinking about two-state solution. Are we going to recognize the Palestinians or not? if? About post-govern, it's not like people are going to stop starving, you know, right. overnight or right. anything. That's this story right. is pres- going to be here for years. I mean, that's the one thing is when the when the war initially started, we looked at this and we're like, it's going to, it's this is a years-long thing now. Yeah. It's years-long, no that's matter right. what. Even if you wrap things up a ceasefire after one week, Rafa or no, sorry, uh, Gaza City is gone. So yeah. now what? You know, it's like these are this is a story that's going to be at the front of the headline in the same way Ukraine is. You know, Ukraine fighting there has been very down. You know, it's it just it hasn't been as bad in terms of the front line. Everything's cold, etc. But it's still existential for the people in Ukraine. The situation for the going forward are they going to be in NATO? Are they not going to be in NATO? We're going to ship weapons to them. What about the Brits and all of that? These things take a long time. You look at Iraq. We've been there for over. 20 years, and we're still haven't met. We bombed Iraq yesterday. Yeah. Of those where you cannot put these things back in the bottle, which is why the initial days of policy matter so, so much, especially to a lot of Americans and voters. Yeah. As we saw with the Dearborn, Michigan mayor, he's like, Listen, if you don't want to do anything, that's fine, but maybe I'm just not going to vote for you.
2: Yeah, that's right. And this is a dyed in the wool Democrat, yeah. you know, who is a Democratic mayor, and he won't even meet with the Biden campaign manager because he understandably finds it insulting that what you want to talk to me right now about is electoral politics, right. when I personally know constituents whose family members have been killed in this conflict, and you want to talk to me about electoral politics? Like, get out of here. And he was on CNN, he did an excellent job, because he got asked the question of the like, well, you know, what about Trump? He was like, how basically, I'm paraphrasing, this is not how he put it, but like, how dare you? Wh- where's your question to Biden of like, mm-hmm. why are you risking democracy in order to back this insane right-wing Netanyahu government? why are you doing that? That's the real question to ask here. So, I mean, there is there is a lot going on here. But, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is since Trump burst on the scene, he has become the central dividing line in American politics. And it's one of the things that I've hated about the Trump era, because it basically squeezes out any of the yes. real, like, vision, policy direction um, questions that, you know, p- that I would like our politics to actually center on. It just becomes about how do you feel about the personality of Donald Trump and the Biden team's is basically that is going to continue to hold and he's going to continue to serve as this um, incredible force of negative polarization where Biden can basically do anything so long as he is not Trump, that anti-Trump coalition is going to hold together just like it did in 2020 and they are going to suck it up and they're going to come out again enthusiastically in high numbers to vote against Donald Trump. And I'm just not sure that that cake still bakes the way that it used to. Um, I think it's worn a little thin. I think people have justifiably have other concerns that they're worried about, and they're not willing to just vote out of fear anymore. And the terror of potentially, well, what if Donald Trump gets elected? Because the reality is they've already been to that movie. They know they may not have enjoyed when Donald Trump was in office, but they survived. They got to the other side of it. And then there's this other aspect of, you know, Trump is an incredible showman. Mm-hmm. And when so much of our politics has collapsed to, like, vibes in theater... You got one guy who's like charismatic and has swagger and another guy who they won't even let do interviews. So there's that piece as well, which, again, I wish that didn't matter that much. You know, I wish it wasn't all a show. I wish it wasn't all just the political theater and the vibes of it. But that's the reality of how American politics operates at this point.
3: Absolutely. That's really well said. And yeah, I mean, we would be stupid as analysts not to note that that is very obviously the case.
2: Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty.
3: Let's move on to the next part here, because it highlights, again, some of the problems for Biden in that showmanship piece. For the second year in a row, Biden has decided not to take part in a pre-Super Bowl interview. This is crazy for a variety of reasons. The Super Bowl is the most watched event in all of America. I actually went back and checked, Crystal, out of the 100 top broadcasts of 2023, Mm -hmm. 94 were football related. Really? The
2: only thing this country <laughs> still crazy. watches,
3: the only thing that we are all tied together, is football.
2: I, I don't even, think even there watch football. It would be 94 football, but I guess yeah. every week, well, yeah. whatever. Different markets, games, yeah. etc. Uh, <laughs>
3: people wild. in the comments can tell me all about their wars with their regional broadcasters. I've even I fail to understand how exactly you're supposed to watch football in this country across five channels, streaming mm. services, etc. The point is, is that everybody watches the Super Bowl. Pretty pretty much, the vast majority of Americans will engage with the Super Bowl in Some way or the other, either online or actually watching the event live. The pre-Super Bowl interview is a hallmark tradition of the American presidency. They don't do it for you know for kicks. They do it because it's the easiest way to reach the vast majority of people when they're getting ready for the game. The second year in a row now deciding not to take part in the interview, and it's look. I mean, this is not going to be a very tough interview. It's like with a friendly news organization too, and yet the. Explanation that they give is totally ridiculous when they're belying the fact that he's afraid that he's old and that it's going to come across the more that people see him, the less they're going to vote for him. Here was their excuse the Biden campaign to CNN when asked about this.
1: Just gotten this news from CBS that the White House has turned down a request for the president to participate in that traditional interview before the Super Bowl so I don't have to tell you this is the night where I think more Americans tune in than than any other night of the year it is the most popular programming of the year so why was that decision made well, yeah, I'll certainly be tuning into the game, but I don't know about you. During pregame, I'm usually still making my chili or putting my beer in the cooler. So I don't know how many eyeballs we're going to lose during pregame coverage. This campaign is definitely going to do everything it needs to do to reach the voters who are going to decide this election. That's why we're running an ad during the Grammys uh, tomorrow night, for example. Yeah, but running an ad during the Grammys, I mean, that, that costs you something. This is this is free advertising, if you will. That This is millions and millions, tens of millions of of eyeballs, so why would the president not want to 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 do that? It seems like an easy decision. Again, the president is going to continue to campaign and continue to hold interviews across the country from now through November. I'm not too concerned about. Uh, pre-game coverage right now.
3: Okay, so their Incredible. reasoning is: well, we buy ads during the Grammys. So mm-hmm. in 2022, sorry, 2023, 12.5 million people watched the Grammys. Now I don't. I want to meet these people and be like, "What's wrong with you?" But that's a second story. Uh, 115 million people watched the Super Bowl in 2023. Yeah. So ten. Times the number of people watch the Super Bowl as opposed to watch the Grammys. And yet they're like, well, we bought ads at the Grammys. What are these people doing? Unless the less that we see of Biden, the more that we see of something else that may cause you to vote against Trump is their best strategy. Now, I do want to be honest. I think this is probably their best strategy. The more that people see of Biden, it's terrible. I mean, people are like, wow, this man is so old. I can't, literally cannot believe he's the president. He also is very reluctant. He's given less interviews than any prior president in modern American history, press conferences as well. Why? Because he talks out of turn, and he's probably going to get asked an uncomfortable question or two, even in a friendly interview, Crystal, about Israel and what's he going to say? I don't know. He doesn't know. He barely even knows right. what he's going to say about right. Israel, about the border, about all these issues where he's dramatically, you know, underwater with the American people. Not to mention he could have, you know, some flub in terms of his age. So this is a real problem for him. I mean, I just think it's an immense sign of weakness to not take part in this interview. And it, a, it's undemocratic, you know, in terms of not wanting to show yourself. But
2: yeah.
3: b, it does show you how that this is their this is their only chance that people come out to vote against Trump. It may work, too. That's the crazy part.
2: I think you're right that if I was his campaign aide, if I was dedicating my life to getting Joe Biden reelected, this is probably a choice I would make as well. Same. Because of two reasons. Number one, it's painful to listen to him. Every sentence is, like, torturous and it's, like, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because you are wondering at all times if he's going to be able to stick the landing or if his brain is just going to, like, melt in front of your eyes. So there's that. And then there's also the fact every time he does open his mouth, he's like— a little bit too honest. You know, like when he got asked about the our strikes on the Houthis, like, hey, is this working? He's like, is no. it working? No. Is it going to continue? Yes. So like, I think there's also a fear of him, <laughs> of the old man being a little bit too accidentally honest in the insanity that is our foreign policy and many other policies besides at this point. And that's not the only time when he, as you put it, Sagar, has spoken on a turn and gotten himself into hot water. I mean, how many times have there been comments about China and Taiwan that were all over the map that caused all kinds of diplomatic issues as well? So they're like, you know what? Best thing we can do is keep this man under wraps record some ads where we have 100% control over what the messaging is and how he appears and what we're doing here. And then, you know, just like hope and pray that Trump is enough to keep people in line once again, one more time. Lynn, let's hope that those midterm results, let's hope that those special election results carry over for Joe Biden as well.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, it's not a bad strategy. At the same time, in terms of uh, bleeding young voters, let's put this up there. This is a hilarious little tidbit uh, that we can show you. He says, uh, the White House, in a reflection of their public confidence regarding the politics of Biden on Israel, has arranged a call with Senator John Fetterman. Fetterman has delighted in trolling left when critics by resolutely standing with Israel since October 7th, telling me young voters should consider the implications of enabling a candidate who had likely given Netanyahu even more of a free hand. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess, what is it? The Fetterman justification is, well, but Trump. Uh, which, I mean, maybe he's right, but we don't have necessarily the counterfactual because Trump is not currently the president in terms of how he's handling this. And actually has been very quiet in terms of uh, what he actually thinks about Israel and Gaza, which, again, I always sense from that man, he has timing. He knows exactly what's popular, what's not, what to speak out on, other than when it concerns actually himself and his legal problems. But he seems to think that Fetterman can bail him out or give him some advice uh, with young voters, Voters, which is especially ironic, Crystal, because if we go and we pull the crosstab polling, not just on Israel, but with Fetterman himself, Fetterman has had an increase in popularity in Pennsylvania. You want to guess with whom? Boomers, all right? <laughs> yeah. Boomers probably. are loving, yeah, boomers and wine mobs. They're loving <laughs> John Fetterman. They like his uh, shtick. His Actual young people? No, they're they're not very pro John Fetterman at all. Yeah. You know, he's no longer pothead Fetterman and talking about dress code and all that. The Israel stuff and, you know, beast basically being a hardcore Biden stand has definitely won him, you know, points with the MSNBC faithful, but that's not young people.
2: Well, and even the MSNBC faithful, they're in favor of a ceasefire and they're overwhelmingly opposed to Biden's policy on Israel as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're, I don't know what you're going to John Fetterman for. I mean, I guess it's maybe you can commiserate about both of you having trouble completing a sentence or formulating a thought as evidenced by, put this up on the screen, um, uh, a reporter at the Intercept, Prem Talker, He interviewed John Fetterman about his support for suspending aid to UNRWA at a time when, you know, Gazans are literally starving to death while allegations against 0.04% of its staff are investigated versus his opposition in doing the same for Israeli forces who the ICJ and a U.S. court both say are plausibly committing a genocide. Here is what he said, quote, well, again, it, well, it's not. We need a full investigation and find out just how much a part of it was about that and how much, you know, the old question, how much they knew and when they knew that. The Intercept, so you're saying that for Israel as well? Fetterman, yeah, okay, so good, all right, well, good. What? That's the man (laughs) that you're going to for advice on Israel and appealing to people mean? and I, I don't know what it means. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but there you go. That's right. the man that they're seeking advice from. That, that, him and Morning Joe apparently, Sagar.
3: Yes, that's right, Morning Joe. Uh, <laughs> but we can't forget, actually our own James Lee, uh, who does partner content for us, he's done some fantastic segments. He was on the ground uh, in Nevada, and he decided to go and interview some people who decided that they weren't gonna vote for Joe Biden. So let's hear from them in their own words.
0: Do you think Joe Biden has done a good job in the last three or four years? Terrible in my opinion. I'm sorry, but he he does a terrible
3: job. I have a daughter that's just retired from the military, you know what I'm saying? Biden versus Trump.
1: Do you have any thoughts there? Neither one. Neither one. Because I know Nevada is a swing state kind of. It's it's definitely not a shoe in like California. So even with those conditions you would still say maybe if it comes down to it, Trump versus Biden, you would still sit it out.
0: I would have to sit it out with Trump versus Biden.
3: I thought that was interesting, to you sit know, it out. in terms of uh, not only in terms of him saying it would sit it out, but when he said, I, I also noted what he said there. Chris always said, my daughter just retired from the military, and mm-hmm. you know, these are people who yeah. are watching. We That's have three right. American service members who were just killed, uh, and you know, it's one of those where if you have a family member or any others who is in service, especially if they're deployed to the Middle East, you're rightfully asking very legit questions. They're also also, you know, just to highlight Biden's strategy here. This is something I've, I've been thinking about a lot, where how cursed we are as Americans to have two successive presidents obsessed with cable news. And it's funny, too, because Biden was somebody who would make fun of Trump for his obsession with Fox News and Fox and Friends and all that. But it turns out he's just the liberal side of the coin. Let's put this up there on the screen. Biden is, quote, obsessed with Morning Joe. Uh, They say that the White House aides appear on MSNBC's Morning Joe. They're often booked between 7 and 740 because they want to reach who? President Biden. I remember when people uh, would make fun of Trump aides for doing this. They say Biden's years-long love of MSNBC's staple morning show affects how the White House runs and who Biden listens to. The president often calls Joe Scarborough, who is now a harsh critic of Donald Trump, to get Scarborough's... Take on issues and sometimes vent about media coverage. During the day, he has often asked his staff whether they saw a story, a poll, or a segment that has been on the show. He includes show regulars in regular, off the record mm. conversations with experts. And Biden pays particular attention to morning listeners, or morning time regulars such as Mike Barnacle, mm. uh, foreign policy expert Richard Haas, and historian John Meacham, who has assisted on several Biden's. Speeches. I mean, this is beyond parody. It is literally the inverse to the Fox and Friends totally. madness that happened. Totally. And yet, you know, I mean, by the way, courage to Alex Thompson at Axios for actually writing this story because it does show you really who Biden is. Biden is a dyed-in-the-wool normie MSNBC lib. And he's, it's like, to understand that is to understand so many of his proclivities, his understanding of American politics and so much more. And it also just shows us that the rotting husk of cable still has so much power in this country so because the right people watch it. They're absurd. With what these dwindling idiots say on cable television. It's just stunning to me.
2: Well, and and if you were gonna pick one show on MSNBC, which would be like the worst show yeah. possible to get advice from, right. because there are different flavors of liberalism, of you know, Democratic Party obsession liberalism within the MSNBC banner, Morning Joe is the one that's like decorum above all resistance to Trump above any other like particular policy decision. It's the most conventional wisdom of conventional wisdom. And so the fact that Joe Biden is relying for his reelection on the advice primarily of Joe Scarborough and John Fetterman, it actually makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, totally. When you look yeah. at the decision making and what is unfolding before us and how they are in a horrific position in terms of actually winning re-election. But you're so right. I mean, even down to it has so many echoes of Trump, even down to, you know, the aides trying to get booked in the right time slot to get a message mm-hmm. to Biden just that like he apparently won't receive face to face. He'll only pay attention to it when it's being broadcast on Morning Joe. I mean, that's identical with Trump. Just like Trump. How his aides and his advisors and people wanted to influence him, they would do the exact same thing. They would try to communicate with him via Fox News and Fox and Friends versus in person because he would take that more seriously. It is a sad, pathetic, degraded decaying political system that we have here that they are paying attention at all to what any of these blathering idiots have to say. I just don't get it.
3: And especially because, you know, can you read the news? Like, can you look at numbers? I just read a New York Times article three days ago. I just pulled it up here. Quote, more people are watching the Hallmark channel than CNN. The world needs love and Hallmark is cashing in. Hallmark, by the way, is having a resurgence because they find themselves in the top ten of overall cable news channels. That's, That's the type of stuff that people Are watching on cable, like you're losing to the Hallmark Channel. We're talking about CNN, and yet the amount of power they still, you know, remain and they have in this country. It's just stunning. Look, we could talk about it all day long. We can hope for a future, but when you've got a bunch of boomers, and I mean, Biden's not even a boomer; he's like Silent Generation, yeah, uh, who have grown up with this and the power that they have. I like to think that even if I grew up in the podcast era or whatever, let's say, and I was running for office, let's say TikTok, which I'm not on, you know, is as popular, even more popular in the future obviously you pay attention to tiktok i'd be like okay what are people watching i'm old you know this is the medium i prefer but these guys are so locked in to their uh to their medium i just look uh, it's it's a different reality that they're living in that's very key to understand very very key
2: it is truly a different reality and a a complete bubble Mm. that they have sealed themselves into absolutely hi i'm cindy crawford and i'm the founder of meaningful beauty
3: Let's move to the next part here about the uh, Trump prosecutor, Fonnie Willis. We've uh, brought you guys some of the updates, but uh, this one in particular, it's it's pretty big. Let's put this up there on the screen. So Fonnie Willis, who is the prosecutor in the state of Georgia, who's brought that case against Trump, which honestly was one of the strongest cases against Trump because election law is totally governed by the individual states where they, uh, prosecu- they're prosecuting him for interfering in the election. Well, it turns out that the special prosecutor who she hired, Nathan Wade, in November of 2021, she has now admitted after divorce filings in his personal case have come to light that she did have a, quote, personal relationship with that prosecutor that she hired in the Trump-Georgia case. Now, the critical part of this, Crystal, Mm -hmm. is not the affair and the personal relationship that she had um, with Mr. Wade. It's the fact that the state of Georgia has paid him nearly $650,000 for his work as prosecutor in this case. Previously, eyebrows had been raised because Mr. Wade did not have significant experience. There were a lot of questions in the state, they're like, hey, why is she picking this guy? And secondary to that is that given, and Ryan and I spoke about this, Georgia law is actually pretty clear whenever it comes to corruption and in-kind donations. So if you are funneling money to your lover in this particular case, and you guys are staying in hotel rooms that he pays for, and you're not reimbursing for that, and you don't make that immediately known to the state, you are in technical violation here. This is, frankly, grounds to fall apart for the entire case. I mean, Trump who this and all of this was surfaced by it seems some opposition researchers and others and it just brings the question of like who do these people think they are you and i were talking about this yesterday if you believe the democracy is at stake and Trump interfered like, maybe hire a different guy. You know? <laughs> just, Seriously. just, maybe, you know, maybe hire the most experienced person. If you are having an affair with this guy, and be like, hey, Nathan, let's call it off, you know, while this is all going down, because even the appearance of this, if it ever got out, it would look really bad. Yeah. And lo and behold, it looks really bad. It could even be grounds for a challenge. I mean, it very easily could. And then in the court of public opinion, this is all Trump needs. He'd be like, you are just, you know, you're accusing me of corruption. You're coming after me for breaking the law. Look at you. And this is all anybody needs to discredit. It, the entire case. It's like these people. I really believe that they have such arrogance, and they think they're they think they're defending the law by being above the law. That they think they're like imperial princes who just shouldn't be subject to the same problems as the rest of us. And that in that way, they're just
2: as bad as Trump.
3: They're just as bad in the mindset that they occupy to conduct themselves in this manner as supposed public servants.
2: It is genuinely yeah. hard for me to wrap my head around because, right. like you said, I mean. Yeah, sure. The people who are coming after you for this are bad faith and they'll be looking for anything to tear this case apart and tear you apart, et cetera. You should absolutely know that going in. Right. Like be as squeaky clean as you possibly can. And yeah, they're still going to come after you and try to tear your character apart, but don't hand them the hammer Mm -hmm. that they can use to destroy you. I just, I, I really can't fathom the level of arrogance that it takes to think that this is all gonna just be fine and no one's gonna notice and no one's gonna say anything when you know, I mean, the stakes are genuinely really, really high. This is one of the more serious cases against Trump, as we've discussed before, because of the fact that it's state law. Because of the fact you have this powerful RICO law in Georgia. Because of the fact that you have you know this wide ranging all these defendants um, that you know it'd be very difficult for Trump to sort of wiggle his way out of it. You've got their rolling up some of these defendants are flipping on Trump. I mean, there's a lot here to this case, and. Even if—and I think it's likely that it doesn't actually entirely kill the case and, like, the whole thing doesn't fall apart because of her, you know, corruption and affair and the whole situation. I think it's likely that the case continues apace as it has been. But Trump's whole strategy here has been much more about the political than about the legal— In the legal, he's been actually getting kind of crushed in terms of his civil suits, haven't been going well for him. Um, We're about to talk about some reporting where he basically sort of assumes that he is going to be convicted on at least some of these charges. So his whole strategy for being able to overcome both the legal challenges and get himself back into the White House is all political. And you have just handed him the greatest gift of all time. Like, what are you doing? It It is insane to me that she thought this would all be fine, that she could just bring in her boyfriend. And again, I don't care about the affair. Yeah, exactly. But bring in your boyfriend, paying right. $700,000, go on vacations with him, and think that this was all just gonna pass without a word, and no one was gonna notice. Especially when you have the scorned ex-wife out there desperate to, because that's how it came out, is she included her, listed uh, Fanny Willis's name in a divorce filing. That's how the rumors started swirling, and how she ended up being forced to uh, come clean with this quote-unquote personal relationship.
3: Yeah, yeah. what is it? The whole hell hath no fury like a woman (laughs) scorned? I mean, it's just absolutely insane the whole way that she would conduct herself this way. Let's put the next one, please, up here because it really highlights what you're talking about, Crystal, about Trump's conviction scenario. We actually have a poll quote that we can put uh, the next one, please, that shows us that Trump thinks he could still win in November, partly by making daily theatrical appearances whenever the courts are hearing his four cases totaling 91 felony charges. His advisors worry Independence will be turned off by a conviction in a jury trial. I genuinely do not know how to feel about this. Mm-hmm. I think that when when criminal charges enter the realm entirely of public opinion, I'm generally of the opinion that it's a wash in that people will be like, well, you know, it seems like the case is political, as long as you can discredit it. If, if it doesn't seem on its face the way that you would think of a normal criminal trial like uh, corruption or murder or something like that, where it's, you know, it's just obvious that you, know, you committed the crime or not, if you're able to prosecute the case in the court of public opinion, it could be a wash. At the same time, his advisors are not wrong. I've seen reams of enough polling to say that there are a lot of independent voters out there who say that if Trump is convicted, they will not vote for him in 2024. Yeah. They could say it now. Things could change. I don't know. It's one of those where— I, I'm genuinely of two minds. Some people still have a lot of faith in this legal system. And let's be honest, a lot of people don't pay attention you know, to the uh, ins and outs. They're like, oh, Trump was convicted? That's crazy. That's it. And they're going to go on. They're like, Wait, when's so-and-so's T-ball practice? Like, that's how most people live their lives. But, if you're enough, if you're engaged, if you're paying attention, if you do get the enough of a sense of politicization in the courts, and especially with all of these, and it seems like some grand thing as opposed to looking at the cases on an individual basis, I could see it being more of a wash in him being able to win and turn it into a showman aspect.
2: Yeah, I have a lot of uh, humility about predicting how Same. this is all yeah. gonna shake out because I think if it was literally any other politician, Republican or Democrat, if they were convicted of any, you know, significant criminal charge it would basically be it for them i mean look at bob menendez like he's done in new jersey and he hasn't even been convicted yet just the allegations enough in the in the new jersey primary now he's at like seven percent or something like that it's destroyed him it's destroyed his career instantaneously trump is different though He gets away with things that no other politician can get away with. I mean, the Access Hollywood tape would have destroyed any other politician. And yet he turns it around and brings in Bill Clinton's accuser and makes a show of it and, you know, keeps everybody in line and in some ways strengthens their support, strengthens his base support, makes them more enthusiastic and wins. So, you know, yeah, the polls pretty consistently show that if he is actually convicted, it's going to be a big problem for him. But people are also notoriously bad at predicting how they're going to respond to theoretical uh, scenarios. Yeah, exactly. Um, One thing that might help Trump is the fact that this up on the screen in terms of the timing of the cases. The first one that is likely to come to some sort of conclusion is what legal analysts to The Washington Post called the runt of the Trump cases. Um, it's now likely to be his first criminal trial. This is the Alvin Bragg hush money, Stormy Daniels 2016 election interference yeah. situation um, that, uh, you know, basically they kind of had to stretch the law and do some legal maneuvering to really make this, uh, you know, a, a serious criminal charge in, in order to to take this to uh, to trial. And so, you know, the fact that it's kind of the weakest, not even kind of, like very clearly the weakest yes. case. Is And the one that people are the least focused on, you know, what most people who hate Donald Trump, like the thing that they hate is January 6th. Mm-hmm. And even the documents thing is about his just total impunity and flouting the rules and doing whatever the hell he wants, whatever the hell he wants it. It goes more to the core of what people really hate about Donald Trump. This one is kind of a side issue, hasn't gotten a lot of attention. So perhaps the fact that this could be the first thing to come down. And I think it's fairly decent shot that he does get convicted on these charges because it is New York. And, you know, I think they've got probably enough to keep this case together, although I don't really know. Um, But I do think the fact that this one goes first, maybe that's also another advantage for him where he's able to spin it as just political. He's able to make that case. And then he's able to just sort of transfer that to the other more serious charges. The flip side of that is, I argued at the time, is like you were saying, Sagar, people aren't really paying that much attention to the ins and outs. If you think Donald Trump is a criminal, you think he's a criminal. You don't care if it's like Al Capone getting caught on tax evasion. You think he deserves to be hit with charges and be convicted in front of a jury of his peers. And so, you know, whether the details are as core to your concerns about him or not, you probably just feel like, yeah, the guy's a criminal, he got caught, he's finally facing some accountability, and that's a good thing.
3: Yeah, I, look, I could see it the both way. I'm inclined on the New York case, just to say that because it, they literally had to stretch, the, listen, we covered a lot at the time. People wanna go and to look, uh, We, I think we had Brad Moss on to talk mm-hmm. about that, yeah. about the you know, the statute and the way it had all been stretched. I think we both agreed that this was clearly the weakest criminal case against Trump, and that it is clearly the most like capital P political. And so yeah, for him, I actually think it's a huge victory to have have this one go first, because, like you said, he can easily cast them. Now, listen, we could see it the other way, too. He's a convicted criminal, and at the very least, one thing we have to do sometimes is take this outside the realm of the political and be like, this is a problem. Like, being in jail is a problem. <laughs> like, what if it, <laughs> what if you're on probation? Like, don't they have, uh, sometimes they have laws that they're like, you can't leave the state without commission like an of your or whatever? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, there could be real issues. Now, I mean, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, because he he could campaign on that. He could probably raise a lot of money in that and draw attention. But I do think there is a normie instinct you know, left in the country for a lot of people who are like, eh, I don't know, somebody has been convicted. That just seems bad. Like you said, that would be a very much a return to the pre-Trump era. And one thing that has become very clear to me from the actual votes cast in 2022 and special elections throughout 2023 is that there is still quite a bit of instinct on Stop the Steal in particular, and on Trump, like odiousness. Yeah. That people are very much willing to vote against now that he is out of office. So I will not
2: discount that as a political force. Yeah, and force. Roe versus Wade right. has been way more of huge, a political massive. force than I ever honestly could have imagined. And I think it continues to be, and I think that continues to show in the election results. So- I don't know. It's crazy. I have no idea how all of this is going to— I could, like you said, Sagar, yeah. depending on the day, sometimes I'm like, oh, there's no way Biden wins. And other times I'm like, yeah, but, right. you know, you got these trials. Like, people are just kind of ignoring that this is all going to come down. Um, by the way, on the, the other trials— Few of them have had some delays. You know, it was looking like the the documents case may continue quickly and may even come to some sort of conclusion before the uh, GOP nomination wrapped up. That no longer looks like the case. So those Jack Smith cases are getting pushed a little bit like further and further into the future which makes it even more politically perilous the closer you get to election day. So, um, you know, it's kind of frustrating not knowing what the timing of all of these are gonna be because so much of the analysis hinges on, well, when is this all gonna actually come down? But with our legal system, there's just, you know, it's just guesswork. You really don't know how long these appeals processes are gonna take and what the individual judge is gonna decide, et cetera, et cetera.
3: We'll see what happens, as Trump uses.
2: All we can say.
1: Come.